You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is J.D. Roth from Get Rich Slowly, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, my name is Lisa from Mad Money Monster, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hello, this is Kristen from Managing Midlife, and you are listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is X-Ray Vision from xrayvision.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have an interesting discussion today that I think is topical for so many people because we often ignore it. Will divorce devastate your financial plan? And so we have four very interesting influencers, bloggers, podcasters from the financial movement space. And I'd like for each of you to go around and give a quick introduction in case the audience isn't already familiar with you. JD, would you go first, please? Sure. Uh, My name is JD Ross. I call myself an accidental personal finance expert. It's always pretty bad with money. Decided to turn my life around. And as I was turning my life around, I started a blog about it called getrichslowly.org. In 2006, I just documented my progress as I dug out of debt and learned how to invest and build wealth. Here we are, oh my gosh, 12 years later, I'm still writing it, Get Rich Slowly. It's been a fun journey. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks. You've been doing blogging since before we knew what blogging was, I think. So we're, <laughs> we're really happy to have you. Thank uh, Lisa, you. could you do a quick introduction, please? Sure. My name is uh, Lisa. I blog over at Mad Money Monster. I uh, had a pretty nasty breakup about 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been good with money for a, a portion of my life, but then uh, up until that point, you know, I was with the wrong person. We were just uh, not, not doing the right things with our money and we split up and that kind of sent me into a hole. Uh, so I've been digging out of that. I met someone wonderful. I've been married for the past three years now and we're on the financial uh, independence journey. Wonderful, Lisa. Thanks for being on here today. Kristen, can you give us a quick introduction, please? Yes. Hello. I'm Kristen Edens. My my website is called kristenedens.com and my blog is included there. It's called Managing Midlife. And my story is a little bit different. I grew up playing the game of life really well, according my parent to my parents, and got a master's degree and fought for 10 years to find a job, barely making above minimum wage. 
and and working part time and just was never happy doing that. I mean, I enjoyed what I did as an exercise physiologist, but then one thing led to another and it just wasn't right. I master's degree. I could make a lot more than that. And I started branching off into writing. And at the same time, the economy was falling apart. My divorce was falling apart. And I thought, you know what, it's time to make a big, big change. And through that, I divorced in 2009, moved across the country, started all over. And one thing led to another yet with with caregiving, with uh, raising my granddaughter and the whole financial issue came to a front there, and it's just yet another thing that many, many people over 40, over 50, or over 60 are dealing with. Wonderful. Thank you so much. X-Ray, can you give us a quick intro, please, sir? Yeah, sure. I go uh, by the name X-Ray Vision. I blog anonymously at uh, my website, xrayvision.com. I'm a physician blogger, um, probably one of the newer uh, physician bloggers in the group. Uh, my blog was about um, started in April when I finally decided to dip my toes in the blogosphere, and uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Met a lot of great people. Basically, started out my whole blog with all the mistakes I made, and one of the biggest ones, which is why I think I'm invited on this series, was because of my uh, marriage and how it uh, fell apart and set me back financially. So I thought it would be a nice way to start a blog by talking about my mistakes and how to recover from it because. It is possible to recover, even though it's, while you're going through it, it seems like the world is ending. Actually, X-Ray Vision, that, that's a good place to start. Because um, you write at the beginning of your blog the concept of one house, one spouse, one job. And that kicks off an incredibly raw series of blog posts about all the mistakes you made. By getting a divorce, were you committing a financial cardinal sin? Um, it, it definitely... Um, was one of the bigger mistakes in my life. Um, and yeah, I, I think if uh, something that you could uh, avoid, obviously um, marriage is a huge contract, a social contract, and it basically ties your finances with somebody else. And um, I'm not sure if your audience is aware, but I, I am a, of uh, Indian descent. So my marriage actually was an arranged type marriage. So um, it was not even something that I truly believed in. So I, I kind of, went into it with uh, trying to appease my parents. But divorce was definitely something that I didn't want to go through because obviously it decimates just not only emotionally, but financially your, your life. It was a rough period of time. I, I, my divorce um, took 13 months to finalize. It was very contested and it was in 2010. And there were times when I, I came very close to just wanting to end it all because it was that painful. You know, some of that pain comes through in your writing. And I want to transition to J.D. because you suffered through some of this a little bit more publicly uh, than the other panelists. In fact, you wrote a post called A Place of My Own. And that was where, from what I can tell, you announced uh, to your readers that you were going through a divorce. It brings up some interesting issues. You said A Place of My Own and... Of course, in that post, you talk about housing, but I felt like it had a dual meeting, meaning um, that it also had to do with your place in the world. But when we talk about finances, our home, where we reside, actually, it can have a big financial impact on our futures. Tell us about some of the stress of housing costs on a new divorcee. Yeah, well, th that was interesting. And for me, my experience was a, a little bit different than x-ray visions because, you know, every relationship is different. Every marriage is different. Every divorce is different. 
So in my case, uh, uh, my wife certainly didn't want the divorce, but it wasn't contested. It was a very short process. It was a very inexpensive process. Uh, it was costly in the big picture, but the actual divorce itself was cheaper. And when it came time to find housing, it, it was a big concern for me. I had to uh, decide what am I going to do regarding housing. Uh, I believe strongly that the number one thing that any individual can do to improve their financial situation is to keep their housing costs low. Housing costs is the single greatest ex expense for most American families. So for me, I was going from a position where I was living in a paid off home. Uh, there were still property taxes and maintenance uh, expenses, of course. Uh, but I had to decide, what, what am I going to do? And I feel like I'm still trying to figure that out now almost, well, it's over seven years since the divorce. My first step was to move out of the house that had been paid off. And I rented an apartment for about, I think it was $950 a month here in Portland. And it was a fine place, but, and that was the right financial decision for a temporary thing. I lived there for a year. Uh, then I decided I wanted to buy a place and I ended up buying a condominium. It was a beautiful place in a wonderful walkable neighborhood. And it, it seemed right for me at the time, uh, but it ended up being far more expensive than I thought. I had to pay with cash because as a financially independent person without a job, I can't get a mortgage. Uh, and this is this is not necessarily a divorce issue, but it's an issue uh, that financial independent, uh, financially independent people need to think about and often don't talk about. It's just a subject that's totally avoided. Um, but you can't get a mortgage if you don't have an income. So I, I bought this condo and it was very, very expensive, even without a mortgage. It was costing me $1,200 a month just to carry it. So here uh, last year, so six, six years after the divorce, uh, we bought a place in the country, my girlfriend and I, and uh, it's much less expensive than living in the city because the carrying costs are much lower. So I guess what I'm saying, that, that's a very long answer to say that housing's not just an issue for people getting divorces, although especially in that case, because you're just one income generally trying to uh, figure out what you're going to do with housing, but for everybody. Kristen, in your post called Suddenly There's Half, uh, you talk about, and this was on Rockstar Finance, where I think a lot of us saw it, um, you talk about also this struggle to find housing after a divorce. You also talk a lot about making decisions and considering the emotional impact surrounding those decisions. It was a lot more than just about dollars and cents. You were worried about family. You were worried about your career. How, how did those things come into play when you were deciding on your post-divorce housing? Following my divorce, I had $729 a month. And there's just not much you can do with that. And there is no way I was going to stay where I was living. It was also very uh, constrictive and restrictive environment. I just knew I needed to get out. And, and so what were some options for that? And I had friends in Massachusetts that wanted me to that come live with us for free. We'd like to introduce you to this widower. Okay. Okay. Massachusetts, widower, maybe, I don't know. I'm barely divorced. And then I, I, I had lots of friends coming through to, for me, even my parents. But here I am on the verge of 50. And then that whole scenario of, oh, let's move back home with mom and dad. That just did not appeal to me. My beloved mother, I love mom, mom, I love you. But I just couldn't deal with some of her stress and issues and, and uh, x-ray vision and I talked about this a little bit of how family 
kind of weighs us down with divorce. And, and I just couldn't go there. And then so my aunt, who lives in the middle of the country in Missouri, said, come live with us. Your cousin needs a roommate and so on and so forth. And, and so I talked to my cousin and one thing after another led to free rent in return for a whole bunch of stuff. It was the middle of the country. It was closer to my children who I did leave behind, even though they were late teens. Uh, I could get to them in a two-day drive. I could get to my parents in a day-and-a-half drive. It was in the middle of the country. It gave me enough place to start again. And up until that point, I had been living for everybody else. I was being a good wife, a good mother, a good, good volunteer, a good community uh, member. And I just realized I, I knew, no longer knew who I was. And as devastating as divorce was, this was a chance to find out who I really was and I had to take that chance. There, moving forward, there was going to be no way I was going to say, oh, I should have done that instead. And so that's why I made the trek across the country, abandoning pretty much everything to, to start anew with very little money. Also, to keep in, in consideration where my children are, where my parents are, where can I start over again without the influence of one or another? And, and that was hard because not that long ago, being considered selfish was the first thing people are throwing out at you. Well, aren't you selfish? You're thinking more of this person or that per or yourself rather than all these entities. And that just had fed me most of my life and I was going to let go of that. So. That was one of the big, big first steps I did was to be selfish for me. I'm interested in this idea of how divorce affects you in your 20s as opposed to in your 40s. And Kristen uses the term gray divorce in your article, talking about people who are getting divorced at 50 or older. I'd like to swing the questioning towards Lisa. Lisa, you actually started this process of breaking up with a fiancé at the beginning of your work life, I would suggest at the beginning of your financial life, how do you think it was different for you at your age versus someone going through it in their 40s and 50s? Uh, well, I had, I had the opportunity to actually get it right and to have it not devastate my finances, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't take that path. So I think for me, I, I took a lot of missteps with the breakup. So I was right around 30 when we decided to split. And because we weren't actually married, we were together for eight years. We were, you know, engaged for, oh, I don't know, the majority of those years. But obviously something stopped us, right, from walking down the aisle. Um, but we let the relationship drag on. And finally, right around 30, I said, you know what? We can't continue this. You know, you're not happy. I'm not happy. Let's just go our separate ways. And the same thing that Kristen said, you know, here I am at a time in my life where, you know, my friends are married or getting married, starting to have families, you know, and this is where, you know, I see myself or I saw myself at 30. And instead of that happening, you know, I was looking at moving out, getting an apartment. We had a beautiful home. We had a beautiful home. We had the in-ground pool. We had everything that you know, it was like the suburban dream, right? We had it. And coming, growing up poor, like that, that meant a lot to me to have achieved, you know, that by the time I was 30. 
So the point that Kristen made about moving in with your parents, you know, I did not want to do that. Now, at the time, my parents were actually living in a home that I purchased as a rental. So they were actually renting from me, but I was still having to subsidize them each month to the tune of about $800. And even though I was making a higher than average salary, you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not, you know, I'm not an investment banker. So it was still quite a bit under 100K per year. So, but I couldn't emotionally move back in, move into that home, even though it was my house, I couldn't emotionally do it. So I stopped my retirement contributions. I stopped contributing to my 401k, my IRA, stopped saving anything. And I, I signed a lease on an apartment, you know, that kind of wrecked my finances for the next, I don't know, almost decade. <laughs> so when you're married and you get divorced, there are legal protections. So in American culture, we always talk about the idea of half, right? When someone, mm -hmm. one party takes half, the other party takes half. When you're engaged, you don't really have any of those legal protections. What did you leave the relationship with economically? Economically, I left with my job. <laughs> I left with a few thousand dollars that I had put toward the home when he purchased it. It was in his name only. He was a few years older than me. He was a little bit more established than me. So, you know, I was kind of the ancillary person in the relationship, I guess you could say. Yeah. So I basically left with nothing. Everything in the house was his and I didn't take anything except four lawn chairs and two cats. <laughs> so that's, that's what I started over with. And emotionally, I was at rock bottom. You know, X-Ray, I want to throw it over to you. As I was mentioning, those legal protections can be wonderful, but the legal system itself can actually make the divorce process more complicated uh, emotionally as well as financially. You've gone as far on, your, on one of your blog posts to talk about the actual economic consequences of your divorce. You, you threw out a number out there. Do you want to talk about what that number was that you feel like your divorce cost you and what it means financially to have a contentious divorce? Yeah, as I mentioned on my blog before, um, I have one of the unfortunate titles of uh, having one of the worst divorce stories that most people have come across uh, when I share it with people. And even the uh, the judge who was presiding over the course, uh, he was presiding for about 20, 25 years, and he was a senior judge, and he said, this is the worst case I've ever been part of. And that's not something you really want to hear uh, on the other side of the, the bench. So it, it was a very dramatic uh financial toll. And um, one of the things I've noticed is um, as a physician, we kind of carry such a huge target, like an economic target on our back, because everyone views us as having deep pockets. We basically make lawyers' eyes light up whenever they see like a, a, a possible like physician is involved in any case. My ex-wife found a lawyer that basically just wanted to get as much out of me as possible. And it, it was just a brutal, brutal divorce. It, it could have gone much quicker, much simpler, but they really wanted to squeeze like every drop out of me. There was a few things that I just noticed that they, um, nothing was simple. We, we even had to argue about which toys the child had to split, uh, who, who retained possession of uh, my daughter's toys. And we actually had lawyers in the room and we basically did almost like a round robin picking of which toy, because that's how my ex-wife was. And all this was just creating dollars and dollars, and it was lining the lawyer's pockets more than anyone else because I think my lawyer was charging me $300 an hour to do this. And over a 13-month case, multiple court hearings, multiple full-day trials, and also multiple jurisdictions, 
I, I didn't total the full bill. I never did, um, did the exact total, but just on the big numbers that I got of receipts I gave, it, it totaled over $300,000 just for my legal team, which was just one lawyer and all the, uh, the court costs. So that was not giving my uh, ex-wife any assets. That was actually the legal fees. Um, the judge also ordered me to pay a portion of my wife's, ex-wife's legal fees, which um, added another 100000 to it. So just the economics from the legal teams for both parties uh, ended up approaching 400000 if not more. No one wins as far as I think the lawyers whenever it's a really contentious divorce. And I, I think my ex-wife um, didn't realize what she was doing because the more we argued, the less there was to split. I think she just took on a very vindictive approach. And at one point, she even called me and said, how dare you divorce me? I was the one who filed for divorce. And it just, I had relatives of hers cause me, uh, call me and say, you know, you should get back together again. She's going to make you pay for what you're doing to her kind of thing. It, it was like threats. Um, they, they threatened my job security. They threatened my financial security. And it, it was just an awful process. And uh, like I said, it, from the day I, I filed, it took 13 months before um, uh, before we uh, actually got the final papers. JD, I saw you mouth the word yeah. "wow" when he mentioned the dollar dollar signs. Uh, tell me what you were thinking. Well, I was thinking again. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show that it seems like such a contrast to what I went through. Uh, my divorce, I think, cost three thousand dollars total, and the from the time. It took maybe three days to get the paperwork worked out. Most of the time, uh, there was a three-month wait for it to process through the Oregon legal system, and that, that was the bulk of the time uh, that it took. Part of the reason it went quickly is I had made a resolution when I decided I wanted the divorce. I told myself, unless Chris, my ex-wife, uh, unless she wanted to get uh, nasty, and I didn't think she would, uh, I, I wasn't going to contest anything. I was the one asking for the divorce. Uh, there's, there was no acute crisis in the relationship. Nobody was cheating on anybody. Nobody was abusing anybody. It was just, it, it was a chronic issue. And so I thought, you know, I don't want to drag this out. I'm just going to not roll over and die, but just like, as long as what she's asking for is not outrageous, even if I don't agree with it, uh, I'm going to go for it. And I think that made the process go much more smoothly. I wasn't necessarily happy with how things turned out because uh, during our marriage, we had both pretty resolutely maintained separate finances in every possible way. And yet when it came time for the divorce, she decided that she did want some of the money that I had accumulated for running Get Rich Slowly. And I thought that was a little bit disingenuous, I guess, uh, to have the entire marriage where, oh, everything is separate. And now, oh, when it comes time for the divorce, no, I want a little bit of that. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, I decided, no, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight it because it's more valuable to me to preserve the relationship. And, and now we do have a decent relationship. It's friendly. Anyway, I, I just think it's an interesting contrast between what I went through and what X-Ray Vision went through. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with a visceral, uncompromising and dramatic feel. This car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. 
The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You use the term kitchen table divorce on your blog, and I think that's just so fitting. Um, Kristen, I saw you, you looking to say something. I would like to add to what JD said is that my divorce was not as, as excruciating and drawn out and expensive, expensive as x-rays. And when, and I did ask for the divorce and it had just been very similar to what JD said was that I had elements that things were going wrong and, and trying to fix and, and it just was unfixable. And so when I finally realized, okay, this, this is, and first of all, you're drawn by emotion. You're r- driven by emotion and you, you, you internalize it thinking, Oh my gosh, this is just me. It's, you know, and then you try to talk, but it didn't work. I finally announced divorce and it was done in 10 weeks, $1,500 and I like what JD had to say is he didn't really roll over and, and play dead and just give everything away, but it was so important for me to get away and make the change for me, which I had never done before, that I almost did give everything away just it, it, to get out. I was going to say, Chris, and you mentioned earlier about the importance of getting away and figuring out who you were, and, and that was an important element in my divorce too because – I feel as if I got married very young. Chris and I got in the relationship when we were very young. And 
uh, I didn't have a time to finish growing and developing as an adult and as a person. And when I decided I wanted to, to do that, uh, that's part of what led us down the path to divorce is it, it, we weren't just, as a couple, we weren't adjusting to me trying to figure out who I was. Being able to do that on my own, it's been an interesting journey, I think. Yes, yes. It's, it's very fascinating to have the, the, the plugs pulled to see where we go. And divorce is highly emotional and difficult, but the result is you get to discover where you're going a little easier, sometimes a lot easier. And for me, it's been a lot easier. Lisa, as you hear this, I'm wondering your experiences with your breakup. Coming out of that relationship, did you feel like financially you walked into the relationship with your husband differently? Uh, did you approach finances differently? Did you approach life and your individuality differently with the next relationship? You know, it's funny. Um, I mean, it took quite a few years for me to meet my current husband. And um, when we met, I think we were just, because he also had a divorce under his belt. We were kind of, I don't know, footloose and fancy free. You know, we, we were kind of acting like I don't know, 20 something year olds and just going out to eat all the time, not really paying attention like we should have to our finances. Now that came to a head when we started talking about buying a really, really expensive home <laughs> that we didn't need and couldn't comfortably afford at the time. When we went down that path and we started to feel anxiety and, you know, over, over our finances and we both kind of took a step back and regrouped and sat down and said, what are we doing? We're not you know, 25 anymore. So let's lay out a plan where we want to go with our, with our marriage, with our life, with our finances, and let's just do that. So, and that's when I started the blog basically to, to chronicle that journey. Ever since we've been, we've been spot on with our money. X-Ray, I'd like to kick, kick it over to you. All of us have taken the time to put our thoughts and ideas out on the internet. And getting out there and talking about the divorce and the consequences couldn't have been easy. Tell me about the response from your readers. It was, it was definitely um, something I wanted to do on the uh, when I started out the blog to, to talk about it because that kind of defined my story because I, I personally did not find or did not see the financial independence light until after the divorce. I was kind of going... You know, I had a great income coming in, but just from circumstances and all that, I, I didn't know much about investing. I was just playing it by ear. And the divorce actually was the, the reason why I even went into um, learning about finance because I, I just saw my, my assets just disappear before my in a blink of an eye with, with the lawyer fees and as well as the, um, the assets that went to her. And I, I was approaching 40 and I was thinking to myself, I'm not going to even be able to retire at a normal time, much less early, unless I do something. Because I was basically starting from scratch again. So I, I found it kind of liberating to have everything taken away. And then I could see all the mistakes I made. And then I said, I need to do something. And I started reading about blogs. White Coat Investor was uh, one of the first that I came across. And then Boggleheads was a great resource as well. And when I started consuming all this information is like, my goodness, you know, I could actually climb back up from this huge hole that I created. And it, it gave me something, it motivated me, it gave me something to aim for. And I, to be honest, when I first started, I actually thought, well, 
if I do this, I could be able to retire at a reasonable time. And I was thinking 65. And then all of a sudden, the process worked for me. And I was like, now it's like, I could retire early now. Because once you, once you see that light, something just like a light bulb clicks in your head. And all of a sudden, it, you, you live and breathe it. And it's just such an easy concept. And the reason why I wanted to start a blog was to let other people know that even if you're at such a devastating point in your life and, and divorce, there's no, even the easy divorces, there's nothing more devastating except for a loss of a loved one, I think, than a divorce. I mean, in, in terms of the stress scales, divorce comes number two versus death of a spouse or death of a child. Um, and that's the kind of stress level that most people feel, contentious or not. So I wanted to just put it out in words and let people hopefully, you know, say, well, you know, here's a guy that probably had every right to dial it in, just, you know, turn it off and, and, and shut down. But here he actually did something to, you know, say, hey, it is possible to get back to financial independence or, or even just just regular, you know, life. And I, I thought that was very important to get on, on word. It, it was very painful for me to relive it. I actually put the divorce behind me for years. It was buried. And every now and then it would bubble up and create anger. But writing that post actually brought up a lot of that feelings that I had pushed, you know, six years ago. It, it affected me for the first couple of days, but all of a sudden the outpouring of comments from the readers. And, and that's one thing I absolutely love about blogging. Uh, I wish I'd I've been debating about blogging for two years before I actually jumped in um, in April. It's just a community of people that you deal with and the comments and it was support. It was just like, you know, I, I felt like I was embarrassed at one point to admit these mistakes. But in the end, I got such a welcoming, you know, reception from the community and made some really, you know, lifelong virtual friends. And hopefully one day we'll get to meet in person. That was the main thing I thought was to let people know, you know, Here's a guy that struggled so much and and pulled it off. And I was kind of hoping to let other people have their voice too. I created um, a, a series on my blog called uh, Divorce and Fire. And I've, I've had some volunteers that um, shared their stories. And everyone who's done it has come back to me and saying, you know, it was liberating. It, it, they felt relieved. They felt, you know, they felt they got it off their chest. And they too got comments from my readers, which I greatly appreciate and they greatly appreciate it too. So I, I thought this was something that was valuable. A lot of people talk about fire and financial independence, but there was not that much talk about divorce. And I thought this would be a good venue for people to kind of at least show other people that, that you're not alone. Kristen? Yes, I wanted to add on to something. Well, he touched on X-ray touched on it twice a couple times is that uh, financial independence. So when I first got that that concept stuck in my head, it was very different from what people view it today. Following my divorce, I was devastated. It did not cost much, but I gave up a lot. And I swore I am never going to give away my financial independence anymore. So it's a different concept that this whole community is, is concentrating on. But to me, it was financial independence for myself. I'm not going to rely on a spouse, an ex-spouse, any, any spousal support, money from my parents or anything like that. It meant I was going to be entirely responsible for myself. So for me, financial independence means independence 
financially for myself. I will cover myself any which way I can. Now, in the other area, I'm still working towards that. I'm, I'm Since my divorce in 2009, things have getting, gotten better and better and better. But my original is going back through from independence for myself. And I think there may still be some a little, not necessarily confusion, but viewpoints on that part. Well, I think what you're hinting at, Kristen, is that financial independence is not actually one point. It's a continuum. It's a, we talk about financial independence as being this point where you're, you can live off your investments. But to me, there are different degrees of financial independence that you achieve. In your case, you're talking about being autonomous and being able to uh, live on your own financially. For me, getting out of debt, that getting out of consumer debt, that gave me a degree of financial independence. Right. And of course, Jim Collins talks about FU money and that when you achieve that, that gives you a degree of financial independence. So I think it's important to understand that financial independence is not a single point, but a continuum. Yeah. And, and I didn't have the debt, thank goodness, and nor did going into divorce create debt. It just, like, like Lisa said, it just slowed everything screeching to a halt and you had to find your way around it and move forward. Good point. Yeah. I'd like to pull on that thread a little bit more as somebody who is currently happily married and very much plan to be happily married for the rest of my life. And of course, I think anybody who's going into marriage, that's the intent, right? And I think very few people think, let's just give this a try and find out. Maybe that's the problem. But this idea of personal financial security and when you're in a happy relationship, should you still consider that? Should you set things up so that each person, if one of them went crazy, would not have this huge financial devastation? That's a tricky question because... I'm not in a place where if, if I went crazy, my, my wife would be well set up. But if she went crazy, I would lose half my assets, if not more. So I, I don't go around thinking about how vulnerable I am to this cancer of the marriage, but it's, it's out there. What should people who are currently happily married be thinking about? I mean, some of you are now currently happily married. What are you doing about that? Yeah, Lisa? So if we're talking about prenups, <laughs> I, I do not have a prenup. And maybe that's something that we should have done but we did not. Now, I do have a daughter. So in the future, when she says, hey, I'm engaged, <laughs> I am probably going to say, make sure you get a prenup. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do think it's important to plan for that, even though, hey, I did not <laughs> at this point. So, And X-Ray, I'd like your opinion on this too. Obviously, with all you've gone through, are you approaching relationships differently? I won't go as far as to say, is, are you planning on someday getting married again? <laughs> but are you looking at your finances and relationships differently now? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. People have asked me before, like, would have prenup uh, have helped me in my first marriage or my only marriage? And unfortunately, at that point in time, she kind of married me right when I was finishing residency. I had pretty much nothing but student loan debt uh, to my name. So um, I don't think a prenuptial at that point would have made a dramatic difference in the outcome of this. Because everything that I kind of accumulated was because of, you know, the physician salary that came after I was married. And um, I guess it became considered marital, uh, combined marital value. I am in a long-term relationship and uh, I am definitely exploring, you know, taking that further. And which does say a lot about the, the person I'm with because she, um, uh, if you ask me right after the divorce, would I ever get married again or even date again? Uh, it, I mean, for two years after my divorce, I, I, I didn't even date. I, I just kind of shunned everything. 
uh, about it. So uh, with time, you know, scars kind of healed. And th- this time uh, it would be my own choosing rather than have, you know, try to follow the wishes of my, my mother, uh, which was the reason why I got in the first one. Just because I have my own daughter and then uh, she also has uh, children of her own, um, I do think a prenuptial um, is something that is vitally important. There are statistics that, you know, are out there that you know, second marriages are actually even a higher rate of divorce than first. And plus, right now, I don't think if something happened and I was to get divorced again, just the time frame of recovery would not be as much as I had in my first divorce. I'm going to be around 47 now, and then there's just not that much time to recover another devastating <laughs> divorce like the first one. So I do think you have to approach relationships now. You know, once been, you got to be twice shy. Do everything you can. If I didn't have any dependents like my daughter, it would be a little bit easier, and I could have gone in a little bit more carefree. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, marriage is a contract, and there's some things that you have to kind of approach it like a business, and some businesses fail, and you have to protect against that. I'm a little bit more cautious now, and I, I think it's kind of challenging discussion to bring up with somebody of a prenup because the first thing that they say is, "Oh, you don't trust me," or you know, "You're going into this with the outlook of it going to fail." And it's not very romantic, but at the same time, you also have to kind of give way to reality and say that, you know, not every marriage is going to be 100% successful. You have dependents, um, you have assets that you've worked hard to accumulate on your own that you want to protect, especially, like I said, as a physician um, with a big target on your back, you, you try to give yourself enough of ammunition so that the next time, if something came to that point, you could at least, you know, walk away with what you deserve. So I'd like to take a chance here to pivot a little bit away from the devastation because it seems to me that all of the panelists found ways to take those hard things they dealt with and turn them into positives. So I'd like to swing over to JD. You mentioned at one point that Chris had suggested after the divorce that you see a psychologist and how that changed your life. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I've struggled all my life with uh, depression and anxiety. And Chris never told me why she wanted me to go uh, see a therapist, uh, but I just did. And because I I thought, you know, I agree with her. I I should see somebody. Seeing the therapist and working through my issues, uh, I've got three things going on, depression, anxiety, and ADHD. And they're all three connected. They they all work together. but doing that, first of all, helped me understand more about who I am and just strengthen me as an individual. But it also then helped me when uh, I entered the relationship I'm in now, it helped me be a better partner. And I can look back now and I can see I was not a great partner in my first marriage. And my goal now in this relationship, uh, which has been going on for six and a half years, is to be a much better partner. And I hope I'm achieving that goal. I think I am. And seeing the therapist helped me uh, work toward that, I guess. It it helped me see what I needed to do and how I could be a better partner. Do you think, um, especially dealing with issues like ADHD, changed your writing style? Helped you write more or less? Did it affect the blog or your financial independence journey? That's an interesting question. I haven't ever really thought about it. Uh, It absolutely affects how I approach my work. I'm scattered, scattered. But I don't know that it affects my writing itself. I've always been relatively open. I talk about who I am and what I'm struggling with. Um, 
<laughs> what it's helped me do is try to improve my workflow because as an ADHD person, I, I'm dealing with this right now. I have nothing ready to publish at the website, even though I want to publish something today. And I'm like, well, when I get off this uh, uh, call, uh, I've got to go down and do some work. And because of my ADHD, I don't have it done yet. And Kristen, is, was the divorce a big part of your origin story uh, for the blog and for your talking about personal finance? Oh, absolutely. It is all tied together because without the divorce, I was on this path of the good life and not like the good life with the perfect home and the six-figure salary and all that stuff, but just being the good girl. That's what I was raised to be. That's what I was brought up to be. That's the community I lived in. That's what I thought my duty was. So the divorce was just this knock in the head to say, Chris, you got to get yourself going. And, and I liked what JD said about he, his counselor helped him find out who he was. I needed that divorce to find out who I was. And it wasn't going to come any other way. Interestingly enough, leading up to that, I was getting fed up. I was spinning my wheels. I was not happy where I was. I wanted to write, and here I am working as an exercise physiologist part-time and, and just couldn't be me. Like many, many, many people probably say to themselves is, and I do encounter a lot who say that, I'll just wait till I'm 40. I'll wait till I'm 50. I'll wait till I retire. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Well, I was tired of waiting. And I did not, but prior to my divorce, I did not go, well, I'll just divorce and take this step. I was, I was more reactive than proactive. And, and so the divorce just kicked things into gear. But as we're all talking about is, is the high emotion and the mental devastation, but like the Phoenix rising from the ashes, that's that's what it has been for me, and that is one of my next tattoos. <laughs> Lisa, I'm interested in the same kind of question to you. If you hadn't gone through that breakup, do you think you would have been talking about financial independence today? Uh, yes, I do. I don't know that I would have a blog. I, I had, I've always had a. a an interest in wealth building. And I started out really strong um, in my 20s after college, uh, pretty much maxing out retirement accounts almost immediately. So when that uh, occurred, or if it hadn't occurred, I would have just kept going with that. So I actually, I might be retired. <laughs> I wouldn't be happy in my relationship, but I'd be retired. <laughs> well, it's a, especially interesting because I, I find that, um, Figuring out who you're going to marry, I've come to believe that that is probably the single most important decision each of us make um, because of the, was well, the person, you, it's your partner for life. And it has such a huge impact on your day-to-day -day life, emotionally, financially. For those of you who have, for the panelists, each of you, I'd like to, for you to weigh in on this. How would you advise those who are considering getting married, getting started in a relationship, what advice would you give them? Play, play marriage counselor for a moment. What should they be considering? What should they be asking in order to make that relationship, relationship successful? X-Ray? My advice is um, you, you really have to know, you know your partner's financial views. Um, I, I think that's a conversation that um, what their, their goals are, uh, how they 
treat money. Uh, I, I've written on several comments before. If, if your partner's not on the same financial page, if you have somebody who's very frugal and a saver, and then you have on the opposite side somebody who's spending it all, it's like a colander. Uh, no matter how much water you put in, it's never going to fill up. And you, you just have two people that are diametrically opposed, and that creates a lot of tension. Looks fade, you know, personalities, financial personalities especially, tend to stay. Um, and, you know, it, it's really important that you, you both have like a common goal. Some people even suggest going as far as showing each other your credit scores, which, I mean, I, I guess that would probably show, you know, uh, how credit worthy somebody is or how they treat money. But, but I do think it's incredibly important that, you know, that you have at least a, a discussion of this is how I see our future together. This is my goals. Um, and that's not to say that you just, you know, completely shun the present away and, and not spend anything. But if you, if you have somebody that's on the same wavelength as you, you're going to get to your path of uh, financial independence or whatever goal you're going to so much quicker than if you're just having somebody that's creating tension. I mean, it, it would irritate me to no end if I'm saving money and, if, and just seeing it walk through the door with, you know, outrageous purchases. So that the, the physical part's great. You know, it's nice to be intellectually compatible, but financially compatible, I think, is just as important. JD, what are your thoughts on this? Is this idea of um, what, what would you do differently or advise other other people to consider? And is money the only consideration? Or, I mean, there's certainly other things to, to factor in, right? No, I, I don't think money's the only consideration. Uh, for me, yeah, you want to be aligned in your philosophies. But I think that actually hit upon what I think is the most important thing. And if uh, people who've been reading me for the past year or two know that I've become very enamored with this idea of having a personal mission statement for each individual. But I also think it's important for families or for partnerships to have some idea of shared vision too. And so, uh, again, X-Ray hinted at that. And I think that uh, what le- when I look around at my friends who've had successful relationships, who are in successful long-term relationships, marriages or otherwise, they are with partners with whom they share some sort of vision for what their future together is going to be like. And they actually, it, it's an actual explicit thing. It's not just a, oh, we're kind of working in the same direction. They've sat down and they continue to sit down year after year and talk about, oh, this is where I see the, or this is where we see uh, the marriage or the partnership headed. This, these are the goals we'd like to accomplish. And here's how we're going to achieve them. And e- each relationship is different. In some cases, uh, the partnership is all about raising the four children and making sure that they head off to successful lives. Or in the case of me and Kim, it's about adventure and exploring the world together. But from my experience, th- this shared vision is very, very important. And to go back to something that Kristen has said here on the conversation is part of getting into this shared vision is first getting clear on who you are and what your objectives are. Because if you don't know where you want to go, it's very difficult to have a conversation with somebody else about how you're going to work together as a team to go someplace. Hmm, I love that. That is incredibly profound. Lisa, you have the same question to you. Do you have any, anything to add to that? Now that he's laid down the gauntlet, do you have anything else to add? Uh, I think uh, following that, uh, you know, ideally you would, you would uh, know what you want before you even meet somebody. I mean, that's, that's ideal. (laughs) You would know that you, you want to be on this journey. You want to live a frugal lifestyle. And then if, you know, whoever you're going out on a date with just doesn't fit 
and blatantly doesn't fit, like like grossly doesn't fit that that template, then maybe you should consider the second date or not going out on the second date. Um, but obviously, it does. Life doesn't work like that, as we all know. So you know, you're gonna you're gonna get into a relationship, and then you're gonna figure out more things about the person. So as being as open and honest as possible, and trying to get on the same page as much as possible, I think is is key. Kristen, you have anything else to add? Oh yeah, I do. I, yes. I do love that that we are emerging to know ourselves better, whether we're in a relationship or not, just individually we need to know ourselves. And one thing that I think is very important is that first and foremost we must know and be able to trust ourselves and rely on ourselves. That means and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about financial independence is you need to be able to take care of yourself without relying on somebody else to take care of you. And so to me, I think that is a very, very good point to start with is before you get into a relationship, don't get into that relationship because that person's going to make your life easier. Get into that relationship because that person makes you happy. That person completes you. That person enjoys and has that same personal uh, uh, statement, vision as you do. The other thing is, is well, we touched on know yourself, but also what are, as you get to know this person, where are the where does the tension begin? Does it start with who's going to pay for going out for dinner or who's going to uh, pick you up at the bus stop or, or who's going to pay the, the cable bill? If that's starting to get a little bit of tension built up, then that might be something to start with. Let's have a conversation about this. Why are you feeling this way about this bill when I'm paying this bill? I mean, already it's starting into the this or that, but We've got to figure out who can manage what and is this fair? And, and, and I mean, you've got to start looking at those things or else it's just going to get deeper and darker. And, and as an example, one of my children, both of them are adult children and, and probably very close to Lisa's age. <laughs> <laughs> and she's always calling me and, and about their latest money argument and, They've been in a relationship for three years, and I just I say, this does not sound like it's working. What can you do? That That's something you need to be aware of is pay attention to the friction, and is this something that's going to continue on or resolve itself? It, this brings up an interesting point, Kristen. Uh, from my own experience, from observations of others, and from reading various surveys, what I've seen is one of the leading predictors of whether a partnership or a relationship or a marriage is going to succeed is whether the partners are kind to each other. So you talk about arguments and you talk about friction. It's okay to have friction. Not everyone agrees. But how do you deal with that friction? And one of the issues that I dealt with in my marriage is we reached a point where we were just we were simply unkind to each other. And I've talked to people over and over and over again who've been through divorces and most of them say the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what we're, where we got to. We were just sniping at each other all the time. We were just mean to each other. And when you reach that point, there's really no recovery, in my opinion. And so yeah. you need to look for that early on in the relationship, not just how you're interacting with each other, not, not are you kind to each other, but is this person that I'm considering uh, spending my life with, are they kind to other people as well? Because I think that's a good predictor of how they're going to behave with you long term. Good point. 
Mm, yes, I love that. But one of the things in, in my marriage that my wife once said that uh, I think was such a in line with what you just said there, JD, was uh, she doesn't easily get mad at me because she knows I would never intentionally do anything to hurt her because she knows I'm authentically, genuinely kind person. And I believe the same thing about her. And as a result, even when we have a misunderstanding, we tend to smooth it out very quickly because we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I mean, this is your life partner after all. So why, why not give somebody else the benefit of the doubt? And sometimes you're just ornery and grumpy and you just have a, you're in a bad mood and you give someone permission to not, to not be perfect. Yeah. I think it's really, really good advice. So, I like that too. The information ahead. to not be perfect is realize that we're all going to have those moods, but how often do they ha- happen and how often, how, how do we respond to each other when they happen? Yeah. Don't let one person's emotional trigger, trigger one of your, because then it just escalates, right? Yeah. So I'm very curious about this. This is a question really to the audience. This is, uh, I guess, what you call a, a respect, introspective question is will divorce devastate your financial plan? And obviously we can't answer that because it's a very individual question. So I appreciate all the guests coming on here and weighing in so that you could give this some consideration for yourself. Because, wow, it's got to be one of the most important things we're thinking about before we were getting on here, me and Doc were brainstorming about how to best bring this story out. And we both came to the conclusion that we often plan for these big financial issues, these big black swan issues. We have all these graphs that try and help us. But the more likely scenario is we're going to have problems with our health or problems with our relationship that could could hugely devastate our, our plans. So what are we doing to consider that we are taking care of ourselves? I think the advice from all of our guests today have really helped. I'd like to give each of you a chance to promote uh, anything that you're working on and let us know what's up next in your life. Uh, JD, where can people, if they don't already know where to find you, where could people find more about out, more about you and what's what projects are you working on right now? Well, uh, really, oh, well, you can find me at getrichslowly.org, not .com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, my project is Get Rich Slowly itself. Uh, for those who don't know, I sold the site several years ago, and I repurchased it a year ago. And it's, it's a mess, and it's just shambles. And all I want to do is write. I don't want to take care of the technical stuff. So uh, rebuilding the traffic, rebuilding the income. I've, I need a partner uh, on that. So I've brought it uh, on board uh, Tom Drake from maplemoney.com and he and I are working together to uh, uh, try to bring Get Rich Slowly back to some semblance of what it once was. I'm having a lot of fun, but uh, there's no like long-term projects. I mean, we, we, kick things, we kick ideas around, but really our objective is to get, get Rich Slowly back uh, functioning at full uh, capacity. Sure thing. So I think the message here is tune in to get rid of slowly because there's going to be a lot of great things to come, even <laughs> yeah. better than all the wonderful things that's right. Before, right. Wonderful. Lisa, where can we find you on the internet, uh, on the interwebs? And what do you have any good, good, interesting projects that are coming up next? <laughs> well, I'm over at madmoneymonster.com and then on all the social media channels uh, at Mad Money Monster. Um, as far as uh, projects coming up, I'm a little bit like JD with um, ADD, so I don't, <laughs> I don't usually have a list of, of things ready to go, but I do have some uh, passion pieces that I want to write, so look for those coming out in the next month or so. Mm, I like the sound of that. Some passion pieces. <laughs> Maybe that should be on your banner. Just call it passion pieces. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> Kristen, what's up next with you and where can we find you? 
Well, currently you can find me in Laverkin, Utah, on the edge of uh, Zion National Park. So I'm heading out there to go hiking right after our, our podcast here. But uh, I, you can find me at KristenEdens.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-E-D-E-N-S.com. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And a couple of the projects I'm working on is I am going to start a YouTube channel that uh, complements my blog called Managing Midlife. And I also am a content developer, so I help businesses strategically create the content they need to grow. Oh, great. So you have some consulting services to tack on to all the wonderful projects you're working on. I like that. Yes, thank you. X-Ray, same question to you. You got any projects that are coming up next for you and where can everybody find you? Well, my website is xraivision.com, and that's X-R-A-Y-V-S-N. And as I mentioned in the podcast, uh, one of my favorite series, and hopefully continues, but it's all based on volunteers, is that Divorce and Fire series. I have a uh, section in my blog for guest posts, and it actually has guidelines and, you know, suggested topics to hit. If you are, um, you know, divorced, and whether you're financially recovered or not, it's, it's basically um, an opportunity for you to submit a a case that, you know, you could tell uh, your story anonymously or not. Um, I could certainly, uh, I've had people that uh, have backlinks to their blogs that have contributed and I've people that chose to remain anonymous, but um, that's a series that I'm, I'm very proud of and hopefully it continues, but it, it basically uh, relies on uh, audience members to participate. So hopefully that continues and um, that, that's one of the, the main things that hopefully uh, takes off in my blog. So you've heard the term or the saying, one house, one spouse, one job. And I think in the financial independence community, we hold to that saying is a way to live life. But in reality, life is a lot more messy. And so with this episode, we talked about one of the most messy things people go through, which is divorce. Uh, It has devastating emotional consequences, um, but it also has financial consequences. Mm -hmm. And so what I took from this conversation was not how devastating divorce is. Uh, I think we already know that. Right. I think what I took from it is how people recover, how people rise like a phoenix out of the devastation and build their lives back. We love to talk about finances and financial independence like we're perfect. And all we have to do is take step one, two, three, four, and eventually get to 10. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we slip and we miss a step and we do it wrong. And that doesn't have to stop us from reaching a place of financial security. It doesn't have to stop us from being good financial stewards. And so I think all of the guests, whether they had a contentious divorce or a kitchen table divorce, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, all of them will tell you that they had never expected to be that in that place of life. And then they all had to build a home of their own, a place to be, a world post-divorce and they had to get their finances in order. So I I was amazingly interested by these stories, but I think they gave me hope. Yeah. What I liked about it was that to your point of rising out of the ashes is that you, you, we always talk about how perfect or, or you feel like you have to be perfect in order to be successful 
and you don't have to be things in life are going to happen. You're going to have unexpected black swan events, whether in and we think about it in the markets a lot of times so we, we talk about, but your, your life circumstances are probably the most likely scenario for it to happen to. And, and sadly divorce is just, I mean, it half of all divorces are ending or half of all marriages are ending in divorce. And I certainly hope that isn't the number for people in the financial independence community, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And it doesn't have to be devastating. I mean, it's going to be hard enough in its own right. It just, we, we all know how difficult it is or can be even when it's amicable. Um, so the, the idea of if you learn how to be good with money and you uh, make rational decisions instead of making these emotional decisions and you have, and you maintain your emotional fortitude to be good with money, then you can take really big hits of half of your net worth or more and, start back and just use those same principles that you, we all talk about and apply those to our lives, regardless of what happens to us. We come out net ahead. If we take those skill sets with us, that the attitude, the approach to life, irrespective of whether or not we have these black swan events. Yeah. I, I love the term black swan events. And in fact, I wrote a blog post that, that is going live today oh, yeah? uh, called, called white swan events. And so that's the thing about it. We talk about black swan events and those are the rare unexpected occurrences, but divorce is a white swan event. It is a completely expected occurrence that we have to plan for as a possibility. And we talked to Tanya Hester a little bit about this with health too. Right. You know, she said that people like to ignore the fact that you're going to have some healthcare costs. So having health problems is not a black swan event. It's what I would call a white swan event. And I would say that divorce is the same. Um, I think you really have to make these part of your financial plan. That doesn't mean you're going into a marriage thinking it's not going to work. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean you're walking around in life thinking that you're going to get some grave illness. But it's also paying respect to the fact that there has to be some squishy areas in your budget to cover some of these things. Uh, and not only do you have to plan for the possibility, but to know that you'll get over them and move forward. Another interesting thing about the people we talked to on the panel today is most of them went through this publicly. Um, so J.D. Roth had a huge following when he announced on his blog he got a divorce. X-Ray Vision wrote about it as part of his first set of posts. And Lisa in Mad Money Monster and some of her podcasts as well in her writing talked about that devastating breakup um, when she was engaged. And I can't imagine how scary and difficult it is to go through that publicly. On the other hand, they gleaned a lot of support from the community. And so, so there are positives and negatives. Yeah, that hadn't resonated with me until you just said that, how, how many of them, or really, I guess all of them, went through their divorce in some part publicly, which as you know, we're putting ourselves out there in a certain degree of publicity by being in being in front of or or behind a microphone or in front of the camera um, and writing blogs, mm, yeah, I and that that really would be make it all the more difficult to go through to go through it. But the type of people that tend to follow this community or are in this community, I, I think would be very supportive and would be a, a source of strength for for you. And we say this a lot, but it. it the community here is special. And I think everybody who's listening to this, who's part of the movement probably resonates with that at some degree and that there's some solace in, in knowing that 
you have relationships besides just your 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 marriage. I mean, that's certainly your, probably your most important one. Um, but when it falls apart, you can lean on your other relationships. Yeah. And I think it goes to show, and I think the whole point of this podcast episode is that you can't plan ahead and stop yourself. Sometimes divorce is just what needs to happen, mm-hmm. but you can plan financially and you can set up a support system, whether it be online or, or elsewhere, that can help you through this and make sure that it doesn't devastate you long-term. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank our great panelists, X-Ray Vision, Kristen Eden, Leeson, and J.D. Roth. That's a wrap. Kristen, you ready? Whoops. No. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll get it. No problem. Okay. Being in my 50s now and you younger whippersnappers. And <laughs> well, I'll be in my 50s in three months. You just wait. <laughs> oh, yeah, golly. Does that mean I'm the oldest here? But we're not married to any specific time limit. Is that a play on words? Uh, yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, I'm not nearly that intelligent. I just am silly enough to say that. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it, it, makes it, more, it makes it even more difficult. And, it, and for me, we didn't talk about this during the thing, but because of my upbringing, divorce just was not an option. And so that I was just going to stick it out. I was going to stick it out. And I'm glad I didn't. I love Chris to death. She was, I always tell her she's my favorite ex-wife. well what's amazing is we just touched on just a few there are so many deep conversations here i i I, just so you know i've got a list of topics here (laughs) you got a list of ideas for us (laughs) our goal to pull everyone out and try to get from you the best of your content the best of your thoughts and get them out there so that people can learn i don't promote every podcast that i'm on but i think this one has a lot of valuable information and it's very different than anything that i've ever talked about i think i agree yeah, I, I like agree to have too. It on my blog. You, Aren't you, you doing Campfires, uh, JD, 2019? The, the, yeah, I'm doing the Joshua Tree one. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a speaker there too. So Excellent. Awesome. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off. U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.